Please turn in your Bibles together to 1 Kings chapter 18. As we continue to consider the prophet Elijah, his life, his ministry, his times, the situation in Israel, the backsliding and rebellion, we come to something of the high point, if you will, in the the life and ministry of Elijah tonight. Uh, This is a Uh, One of those passages that is larger than life, there is so much here, we're just going to spend one night together on it, but we're going to have to move quickly and move through a lot of details that um, we won't have time to to linger at, but I would commend this passage to your further study and reflection, and uh, let us wait upon God as we hear it together tonight. I'm going to begin reading at verse 17 of 1 Kings 18 and read down through verse 40. Uh, once again, please hear God's living and active word. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping Between two different opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. And let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, It is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. For you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. And no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances, until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on 
until the time of the offering of the oblation, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two sayas of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. We will end the reading of God's word there at verse 40. Let's stop and ask for his blessing. Lord, you are God. And we pray that you would enable all of us here tonight to see that and believe that. And not only confess that with our mouths, but have hearts that would believe that as well and turn away from idols and turn to you. Lord, we are warned in your word against becoming like the idols we worship. Lord, we ask that instead we would become like you as we worship you tonight, as we hear your word, as we gaze upon your beauty, as we think about the offering, the ultimate offering for our sins, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, guide us now and work in us by your word and by your spirit. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids, I wonder if you have a favorite Bible story. A story in the Bible that you love to return to again and again and read or have read to you. Well, this story before us tonight is one of my all-time favorite stories in the Bible. And one day I want to ask Elijah, or maybe even ask God, tell me more about it. 
the details that we have here in the word are sufficient. This is what the Lord wanted us to, to have and to know. But I want to know more. Uh, what was it really like? How fast did the fire come and, and burn? Did some of these people truly repent and believe and walk with the Lord the rest of their lives after that day on the mountain? What was the look on their faces? Uh, it's really an amazing story. And as you hear it tonight together as God's people, I want you to imagine being there. Imagine being summoned by the king to Mount Carmel and climbing up the slopes with the crowds of people. And uh, perhaps you were fearful. The drought was still going on. You and your family had very little food and water. Uh, You had heard rumors of Elijah returning and you wondered if you might see him there on top of Carmel. As you climbed higher up on uh, the mountain, you could see the Mediterranean far below to the east. And perhaps as you walked up on Mount Carmel, you might have passed a broken down altar of the Lord. And you remember your parents telling you stories from their grandparents about the Lord and uh, what he had done. But now it seemed like everyone was following Baal and uh, everyone was scared to follow the Lord, or speak his name, or worship him. Think about what you would have seen and heard and witnessed that day, and the lasting impression it would have made on your heart and your mind. Well, as you listen to this story tonight carefully and all of its details, I want you to ask, why did the Lord do this that day? Why did he record this for us in his word? Why do you and I need to hear this tonight? What does he want to teach me? What does he want to teach us? What must I believe about this God? Do I really follow him? Am I truly trusting in him, the God who answered by fire? Have I turned away and am I turning away from idols this story shows us in a very memorable and and stunning way uh, that the God of the Bible is real and he is powerful he is the only true and living God it also shows us that he is holy he punishes sin and idolatry but it also shows us that he's merciful That he has made a way for sinners to follow him and to know him and be saved by him. For our hearts to be turned back to him and away from idols. And so people of God and, and all of you here tonight, the Lord calls you tonight in his word away from idols and to him. He calls you to know that he is God and that he is Savior that he is real and powerful and merciful. And he calls you to follow him and put your faith in him and to put your faith in Jesus, who is our ultimate sacrifice, the only way of salvation. Friends, this story proclaims to you tonight, God's word proclaims to you tonight that the Lord is God. The Lord is God. And so you and I must bow to him 
and follow him and confess him and trust in him. The Lord is God. Follow him. Do you? Will you follow him? You must. You must know that he is God and give your life to him. Let's turn our thoughts to that together as we consider God's word. And I want to see this story unfold in four steps tonight, beginning by considering the purpose and plan. The purpose and plan. Elijah has confronted Ahab in verse 17 through 19 with his sin. And then he asks him to summon all the prophets and all the people to Mount Carmel. And verse 20 surprisingly tells us that Ahab actually did just this. And he gathers all Israel together. And so a great number of people and all of these false prophets travel to the northeast of Israel to Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is almost... 2,000 feet high, uh, rising up above the Mediterranean, stretching out towards the Mediterranean Sea on the coast. Uh, It's in the north near Phoenicia, and we need to remember that that is Baal's homeland. And so uh, this is Baal's turf where Elijah is summoning everyone. God is giving Baal a home court advantage, we might say. On this high place known as a center of Baal worship. Let's meet there and have this contest. Well, Elijah speaks and lays out his purpose and the plan for this gathering. Listen to verse 21 again. Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. The purpose of this gathering, this contest, says Elijah, is for the people to stop limping between Baal and God. It's to prove whether Baal is God or the Lord is God, so that they might follow the one true God and forsake the false God. If God was God, they could not go back and forth. Uh, They couldn't claim to worship Baal in order to fit in and avoid persecution, but then say, well, privately I worship God. And they could not follow King Ahab after Baal and still lay claim to the Lord. They had to choose one or the other. And they had to forsake the one that was not the true God. Elijah knew that the Lord alone was God and that he called them to worship and serve him only. And he calls us to that as well. Elijah remembered how the Ten Commandments start so clearly. You shall have no other gods and you shall not make for yourselves a carved image. You shall not make idols. And so he lays out the purpose. But the people are non-committal. Uh, They're silent. Uh, They don't respond. They don't answer. They don't want to agree to this. They don't want to face reality. They don't want to face the true God. Uh, They become comfortable being neutral. And sadly, this is so often man's response when confronted with the exclusive claims of God. Uh, When confronted with the exclusiveness of truth, silence. 
a refusal to wrestle with the truth and, and admit the truth, to wrestle with reality, to not want to offend anyone and, and simply just go back and forth and be undecided. And maybe that describes you tonight. You are limping between the real God and other gods, and you will not land on who you will follow. But Elijah's purpose, really the purpose of God in in bringing this about, the purpose of God's word, the purpose of all of God's actions is for all to know that he is God, to forsake false gods and to follow him alone. Well, next, Elijah lays out the plan, the rules of the contest. Listen again to verse 23 and following. He says, let two bowls be given to us, and let them choose one bowl for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. Listen to how they respond this time. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Now the people agree. Okay, we can agree to this. And maybe it's because they realize we are in Baal territory. Uh, the, The deck is stacked in our favor. We have 450 prophets and they have one and fire is Baal's specialty he's the god of lightning and so they see all the advantages and they think this is going to work and they agree and so the plans are in place the stage is set and all of this reminds us that you cannot be neutral you cannot stay on the fence In regard to the things of God, you must believe and follow God as God or not. You cannot claim God but also tolerate idols or follow false gods and then at the same time claim to believe in the true God. You can't remain undecided. If the Lord is God, he demands your life and your allegiance. He demands your exclusive faith. That you follow him and him alone and you turn away from all else. God is telling you and, and calling to you tonight as we hear this passage. As he called on the mountain through Elijah, it has got to be one or the other. Do not limp between me and something or someone else. Either I am God and you must bow to me and follow me or not. Well, that leads us then second, as the story unfolds, to the performance and provocation. Elijah lets Baal's prophets go first and choose their bull, and then the performance begins. Listen again to verse 16. They took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered, and they limped around the altar that they had made. All morning, hundreds of them circling around the altar, crying out to Baal, and what happens? Nothing. 
Nothing happens. Silence. The text says there was no voice and no one answered. Even though there are hundreds of voices crying out to Baal. Even though they are in Baal country. Even though he is the God of lightning. And they have all morning. Nothing happens. And so Elijah responds. Uh, He begins to mock them. And maybe we're surprised by that. But this is the Lord's man following the Lord's commands. And he's making a very valid point. Uh, False gods are made in man's image. And so just like you might call a person and not reach them, uh, not get their attention for different reasons, Elijah suggests some possibilities. Maybe Baal is deep in thought. Uh, Maybe he's gone. He's on a journey. Maybe he's even in the restroom relieving himself. Maybe he's simply asleep. And this actually provokes them to double down in their efforts and cry even louder. Listen to verse 28. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. They think that if they carry on and and get louder and even cut themselves and, and spill their own blood, sacrifice themselves, they will provoke Baal to respond. They'll get his attention. And they do this all afternoon. But listen to what happens. Once again, at the end of verse 29, but there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. They have every advantage. They have strength in numbers. They have the the greater part of the day. They've put their whole selves into it. They've raved and cried and, and raised the volume and gashed themselves. And there is no answer. What a spectacle. What a pitiful performance. And that's really all that it was. A religious performance. A man-made performance. An utter waste of time. They were sincere. They meant it. They were all in. But nothing they did would bring a response because Baal was not real. Baal did not exist. Baal did not hear. Baal could do nothing. And do you see here, brothers and sisters, the utter folly of man-made idols, man-made religion, empty fervor and activity. And not only do they not cry out to the true God, they think by all their religious activity and, and fervor and even sacrificing their own blood, they can get their God's attention and answer. But not even the true God responds to such outward acts of show. Man-made religion. There is only one God. And there is only one way to that God. There is only one sacrifice and one Savior. Today people may not call upon this God, this God Baal. But they think that as long as they're sincere in their beliefs and in their actions that they will be heard, that they'll be right with God or with some higher power. 
that everything will work out, but it is all just an empty performance. They are false gods with no existence and no power, and it leads only to silence. If you call upon or hope in anyone or anything, including your own religious activity, if you're hoping in anything or anyone other than the true God, you will get only silence. And worse than that, you will get the the judgment of the one true God. Well, their turn is up and nothing happens. Now it's Elijah's turn. And so let's consider third, his preparation and prayer. Elijah's preparation and prayer. Elijah begins in verse 30 by calling the people near. And everything's been loud and crazy and chaos. And he quietly says, come close. He wants them to have front row seats. He wants them to see his calm, deliberate actions. He wants them all to be able to see he is not rigging the contest. He's not cheating. And then he wants them to see him repairing the torn down altar of the Lord. With 12 stones for the 12 tribes of Israel. And in this very deliberate act, he is reminding this people of who they are of what their name is, of whose they are. They are the Lord's people, even though they have wandered from him and turned their backs on him. They are the people of the Lord who had given given them his word, who had brought them out of Egypt and put them in this land as one covenant people, as the sons of Jacob. And so quietly and calmly, Elijah, in the name of the Lord, rebuilds this altar. And then he digs this big trench. Uh, He arranges the wood. Uh, He cuts up the bowl. Uh, That's more work than you might imagine. Uh, This is a large animal. Uh, There would have been a lot of blood. It would have required a sharp blade. And he lays that piece by piece on the wood. But his preparation is not done. Listen to what Elijah does next in verse 33. He put the wood in order and cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. Elijah has everything completely soaked, completely drenched with water, and there's so much of it that it fills the trench around the water. And so this altar is guarded by water, if you will. And kids, you know how hard it is to light anything that is wet. And yet it is not hard for the true God. Well, everything is soaked. Some will ask at this point or object where did he get the water in a drought? Well, water is scarce, but it still exists. And they were also close to the Mediterranean. Uh, They could have gotten the water from there. And so while Baal had every advantage, while he had all the time, all the prophets, Elijah, the one prophet of God, gives himself and gives his God every disadvantage and every handicap, if you will, so that no one could possibly say that this was rigged or unfair, or some sort of a trick. 
And then notice as well, Elijah doesn't dance around the altar. altar. He doesn't cry aloud for four hours. He doesn't shed his blood. He doesn't carry on an outward religious fervor and show. He offers a simple yet profound prayer in, in just two verses. Look at his prayer again in verse 36. Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. There's so much in this simple, earnest prayer, this calm prayer of faith. He calls upon God as the covenant God of Israel. He asks God to make it known that he is God. God, show who you are. Glorify your name. Vindicate yourself. That's his greatest desire for all to know that the Lord was God. He was just his servant. Elijah's in the background. He didn't need recognition or fame or a free pass after this. He was simply the servant just doing what God had called him to. And then he asked God twice to answer his prayer so that the people would know the Lord is God and so that they would know that he had turned their hearts back. Elijah is praying for a saving knowledge of God. He's asking for genuine repentance and faith, a turning of their hearts back to God. He, ju- he doesn't just want a simple win and for people to see, oh, he was right. He wants heart change. He doesn't want mere proof of God's power and existence. He wants a repenting faith and a change of heart. And that's what he asks for. That is his prayer. Uh, that's all he asks of the Lord. And then he trusts the Lord and waits. And he does this because he knows his God. He knows his God is all-powerful. He is everywhere. Uh, Drenched wood is nothing to him. He doesn't respond to outward performance and long, loud cries and great numbers. But rather, he truly hears the quiet, believing prayer offered by his servants. Those who come to him in humble faith. While the altar is prepared, uh, the prayer is offered, everyone waits and watches, and we see forth and finally tonight the awesome answer. God answers with power and a penalty. Power and penalty. Listen again to verse 38. Just after Elijah prays, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. After Elijah's short, straightforward prayer in faith, God answers with great power. Imagine the roar of the fire as it fell from the Lord and consumed the entire altar. 
and the offering and the wood and the stones and even all of the water. This fire was so hot and so intense, it incinerated everything. And, and the people must have leapt back for fear of their lives to avoid the flames as it roared and consumed the Lord's sacrifice. The Lord answered by fire. The Lord was and is God. Baal was not. No one could deny it. No one could have any other explanation. It was obvious. And, and look at the initial response in verse 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. They fall on their faces and they, they confess. They say what is obvious right before their eyes. They've all seen it. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. But the question is, do they mean it? Do they believe it? Will they follow this God? Will they truly turn away from Baal? Will their hearts forsake Baal and turn back to Him? Is this a genuine profession of faith or just outward words of shock and wonder that do not penetrate the heart? We can't say for sure, but as we read on in First and Second Kings, it would seem that many saw this great display and, and many confessed with their lips that the Lord is God, but did not truly believe and repent, and their hearts were not changed. I think some among them uh, did truly repent and believe, but I think for many it was just an outward Confession. They see the power of God and you expect the story to end there. To end in worship. To end in, in tears of repentance and, and amazement and revival. But following God requires following God's word. Now listen to how this story ends. Listen to the penalty for the prophets of Baal in verse 40. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. The tables are now turned. These prophets who may have wanted to run did not get away. And this may seem extreme and harsh. But this is actually what God had called for. This is what he commanded in his word in Deuteronomy 13. Elijah was simply following orders, following the word of God. Remember at this time, uh, Israel was a theocracy. The church and state were one. And the civil law of God rightly governed faith and life and, and punished idolaters. Unless you say this is just the harsh, unforgiving God of the Old Testament... Think about how Jesus said in Matthew 18, whoever causes a little one to sin, it would be better for him to be drowned with a great millstone around his neck. Or Paul in Galatians 1, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached, let him be accursed. These prophets were doing eternal damage. They were making war 
against the living and true God, the only Savior. They had to be punished. But as we consider this penalty, we need to know that this is really what all sin and all idolatry deserves. This is what all Israel deserved as they were forsaking God and following Baal. And friends, this is what you and I deserve as well in our sin apart from Jesus. It's also a picture of what God will do on the last day uh, in the end to all who do not repent, uh, to all who do not confess and believe the Lord is God and Savior, but instead worship and serve idols. This also illustrates for us the the danger, the deadliness of idolatry. It must be found and put to death in us. We must show it no quarter, no mercy, personally and spiritually in our hearts. We must put idolatry to death. But this swift penalty that might shock us as this story ends actually serves to highlight for us the graciousness of God. How can I say that? What do I mean by that? How does this highlight the graciousness of God? Well, remember, every sin deserves the wrath and curse of God. Every sin deserves God's just penalty. And not only did all Israel deserve this, and and so do you and I, they deserve the fire from God, the fire of heaven. And yet God did not rain down fire on the whole mountain that day, on everyone gathered there. He let them see his existence and power. He let them hear this answer to prayer. Uh, He was soon going to send rain in his mercy. But he also, in this consuming fire, gave them a powerful picture, an illustration of his grace and his mercy in that bowl on the altar that was consumed. God's holy fire did not consume the sinners, did not consume the idolaters that day. It consumed the bowl instead, and the altar and the stones and the water. And this was a sign to all who were watching that he was gracious, that their hearts could turn back in faith and in repentance And he would be gracious. He would not pour out judgment on them, even though they deserved it. But he would forgive them. And his holy fire would be poured out on another, on a substitute, on a sacrifice. And that is exactly what God would do. That is exactly what he has done in and through his son, Jesus. Many years later, not on Mount Carmel, but on Mount Calvary at the cross. And Jesus, not a bull, but Jesus, the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice, would lay down his life and shed his blood. And God sent not fire from heaven, but he sent his burning wrath upon Jesus to completely consume him as a whole burnt offering to to completely consume him for our sin. He did that to save sinners, to save idolaters. Friends, we don't deserve proof that God, that the Lord is God. 
We don't ultimately need that. We need a Savior. We need a way to be reconciled to the God who does exist, whether we admit it or not. We do not deserve anything but God's holy, consuming fire. But in Christ, God shows us both. In Christ, God shows us that he alone is God. He is alive and he is real. But he also shows us that he forgives sinners through the perfect substitute, the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. We deserve what those prophets received. We deserve the consuming fire of God's holy and just judgment for our sins and our our idolatry. But through Jesus, God shows his power and his grace, his way of salvation, so that our hearts might turn to him and turn away from sin and idolatry and have life. Brothers and sisters, young people, children, the Lord is God. Follow him. The Lord is God. Follow him alone. Do not follow idols. Do not put your trust in what man has made. Put that to death. Do not limp back and forth between two opinions. Do not be undecided. Do not be silent when you hear God's word. Don't refuse to answer and to decide who you will follow. Follow the Lord. Put your faith in him. Put your faith in him now if you have not. Uh, This very night. Or renew your faith in him alone. See again tonight the utter folly and hopelessness of idols. The utter hopelessness of man left in his sin. And don't hear this story tonight and use the excuse. Well, I would do that. If I could see his power in existence. If he were to send fire from heaven tonight. Okay, I would would admit that he is the Lord and I would trust in him. Friends, a sign of power, proof of power and existence does not change hearts. That does not save sinners. Remember many who saw the fire on Mount Carmel. It would seem did not truly believe. And turn from sin. And it was undeniable. They could see it with their eyes. No, what they needed, what we need, is not further proof. It is a change of heart. It is to bow before God. It is for God to change our hearts that that run to idols and run away from Him. To change our hearts that make demands of our Creator and craft idols in our own image. We need his spirit to come down from heaven into our hearts and burn up all the evil and idolatry in them. Sending fire from heaven is a small thing for the true and living God. He created the world and everything in it. And he sent his son from heaven. And he sent him from heaven to take the fire of his just judgment that we deserve as our sacrifice so that we might believe in him, so that we might know and follow him and live forever, so that we might not sit with our arms folded demanding he prove himself, but that we might run to his open, merciful arms, his saving arms.
People of God, you need to see by faith in this remarkable story tonight how Baal is silenced and defeated, how all false gods will be silenced and defeated forever, and how all who follow them will be consumed. But you also need to see and believe That if you believe the Lord is God and you turn away from idols, if you turn your hearts to him and follow him, then this God consumed his own son in your place. And this God accepts the sacrifice of Jesus for you and for your sins. And this God, the true and living God, will be your God. And he will give you a new heart And he will give you life forever in his son. He will give you joy forever in him. The God who answered with fire is God. The God who answered by sending his son to die and rise again is God. And he is full of power and mercy. And each and every one of you in this room must bow to him and trust in him and confess him as Lord and God. Friends, know the Lord is God. Put your faith in him alone. Follow him and live. Let's pray. Lord, you are God. And we ask that you would turn our hearts away from idols, away from our foolishness and sin, away from any thoughts that we can somehow provide a sacrifice or get your attention or do something to please you or make you hear us. Lord, what we need is for, to have new hearts. What we need is the sacrifice, the only sacrifice, the only way and truth and life, your son. And we thank you that at the fullness of time you sent him from heaven. You did not send fire from heaven to consume all of us in our sins as we deserve, but you sent a salvation from heaven in the person of your Son who was consumed for us. And so, Lord, let us be amazed by him. Let us truly believe that you are God. Forsake all else and follow you and have life in Christ. And many, many more who yet do not know you and trust in you. Lord, we pray this not for us ultimately, but for your name's sake. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.